Okay. So, hi, everybody. Uh, welcome to Sync Ratios. This is the podcast uh, about Neon Genesis Evangelion, uh, hosted by myself, Ben Collins. And me, Luke Piotrowski. And uh, we, this is episode... Zero four? Zero four. Zero four. And what's the title? And then they actually, there's, there's some stuff that you wanted to talk about related to all this. So, Luke, yeah, I'll, 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 I'll let talk you talk about the title. It. Yeah, that we're going to, the title for this one is Rain, comma, after running away. Mm, yeah. Rain after running away. And the uh, script is by Akio Satsukawa, and the director for this one is Suyoshi Kaga. And yes, there's a lot of housekeeping stuff that I kind of want to talk about, but the first and foremost thing here is is the idea of the titles because guys we found out and yep. i kind of remembered this once i sort of started looking into it it's like oh, shit that's what it was the two titles for each episode the first title you get is the literal japanese translation of the title uh-huh. so that's what the what the japanese name is and they translate it into english and you that's why you get those like poetic sounding mm-hmm. titles then the midpoint title that we've been referring to has been the official gynox sanctioned English translation title. So okay. there's a Japanese title and an English title for each one. Do you know if they would air in Japan with both titles in that way? Or is I that something that. they did just for... Yeah, no, I'm not sure about that. But there's a lot of stuff like... And this would take us off on another tangent. But like even the the, the word angel. Oh, yeah? The, the actual translation in Japanese is more like apostle. Oh, yeah. I remember you telling me that. Like, literally, it's messenger, like the same word for messenger. But you'll see in English text in the show the word angel. So angel is the official Gynox sanctioned translation of the word. They're called mm-hmm. angel. That's what they want it to be. But if you're talking about a literal translation from the Japanese, it would be a possible. I, I kind of remember when you found this out years ago, and that was sort of the first indicator that maybe... It, this this desire to like decrypt the whole thing as a sort of biblical like uh, analogy or whatever like as though there was a secret hidden sort of biblical meaning to the thing or whatever and it being like oh well that's it's all sort of hinged on <laughs> the angel thing and it was like oh if it's a po- well, it but, the, kinda, but we've been, like, yeah. been saying they're they're angel names like yeah, the true. names of all these the creatures are angels not apostle names no it's, so. yeah, it's not like matthew and mark and although that's <laughs> I, really funny i would like picture. there to be to say a matthew an angel named matthew that <laughs> yeah. comes out. But uh, so that's that's the big thing is yeah. that, and I'm sure we probably infuriated a couple people listening who knew that piece of information. As we yeah, were I do like to imagine the titles every episode. Yeah, that you know, but if you're listening to this, you know, feel free to send us angry, you know, tweets and sure. stuff like the, that. The tell, unfortunate tell thing stupid. is that I think we're kind of like trying to record all these and have a bank to sort of drop. So mm-hmm. probably by the time that you contact us, we've already recorded the next batch of episodes. Oh yeah. We can't fix it, but we can tell you publicly that you're right and we're wrong. Right. You know, <laughs> that's about the extent that you're going to get. Yeah. Um, so some of the other stuff though, like to that end of just things that we brought up and like sort of half thought out or wondered about, I, I did my somewhat due diligence and tried to, mm-hmm. to follow up on it. I did find out that it originally aired at 6.30 p.m. Oh, that's interesting. So we were wondering, is it a daytime show? Is it a nighttime show? And that... Kind of splits the difference the in... The first run, yeah, it was a 6.30 p.m. Like, show. What, I mean, like, what's a work day in Japan? I mean, like, are people home to watch things at 6.30? Because I, I wouldn't think six thirty is not prime time well, here. Well, because of all the public transportation stuff, you know, the days start a little bit later. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't know. 
Like, what, like I'm, I'm sort of wondering what the implication of that well, is. Like, it kind of seems like it probably is still there, not fully an adult show. Because there were also rumors, though, that it eventually got rebroadcast later in a late night time slot, and that that was when it really started to pick up steam. That makes like, a lot of sense. That's when it became me. more popular. Hmm. So that's just sort of a rumored thing, and um, it is interesting. I haven't talked about this before. It's a very different time to watch this show than when when we first watched it. Of like in terms of just internet access mm-hmm. and the reliability of internet access, there there are some really good you know websites out there and stuff that has been translated. But I remember at the time getting a lot of misinformation, yeah, or incorrect information about this show, because you'll see the deeper you get into the show, the more you're going to want to look up. Like, okay, what the fuck just happened? What does mm-hmm. this mean? And you don't have anybody to talk to, so you're turning to the internet and trying to get <laughs> access. And I remember my friend yeah. Will and I found this website. It was like Akari Gendo's Evangelion page. And it was, you know, like all Somebody's the answers. like Angel Fire self-made website. of like, 100%. Yeah, yeah. I think I, maybe we got there through the anime turnpike. Oh, my God. I haven't thought about the anime turnpike in so fucking long. Anime turnpike. Holy shit. Slash something something. Oh, my God. That yeah. probably doesn't exist anymore. I doubt it. That's oh, where man. I got all my, you know, Misato wallpapers. Hentai, yeah. And, you know, <laughs> they had little, um, there was some sort of program back when I, you know, had a, had a PC. They had like these little window sitters. Like it was like this little a Japanese program where you could have like, you know, your, your windows, you pull up your windows. Mm-hmm. It would have like a little, like a little ray or a little Misato. Oh, yeah, yeah. And she would perch on the edge of your windows window on your screen mm-hmm. and you could like click on them and they do things yeah it's like sort of like a like a evangelion desktop theme you could get or something yeah, like, where it makes everything like purple and green and like this <laughs> is probably all that shit exists. yeah so at that time just like going to that website and finding i'm trying to think if there's any there's a character called keel i think we've glimpsed him he's part of the say like the guy with like the cyclops looking with the, visor, with the cyclops visor yeah. on yeah there was like in, misinformation about him um and so, yeah, just a lot of bullshit stuff that kind of colored my viewing, my understanding of the mythology of the show in this very incorrect way for a very long yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. So it had to be and, unlearned. And that, and that, I mean, I mean, you've done more research recently for this show. I mean, but every every couple of years, I go sort of look around on the internet to just see if there's more stuff. And yeah. You know, it's, it's, if this is, you know, the, I mean, it'll be curious to see what the Netflix thing does to that type of stuff now if, if regenerated interest, like, gets more of it. But, like, even up till a couple of years ago, there was still some somewhat scant information in certain well, areas. Well, there's a like, really, avageeks.org, I don't know what the state of it is right now. Um, they were sort of a really good hub for a lot of translated mm-hmm. information because that's the big thing is, like, you know, you want to research, you know, lost. You can find interviews with Damon Lindelof from this time and compare it to this, yeah. that, and but with with this, it's it's all in Japanese. So you, if you can find an obscure interview, and, and there's one that I did find that I referenced before, and I'll, and I'll talk about that in a second. But it's not just a matter of finding the stuff; is you have yeah. to find a translated version of the stuff, and you know how reliable is the translation? Mm-hmm. Like there's a, I read an interview with Ano that was from a, a new type magazine. Oh, I remember when that, that was the <laughs> one that had the, the disc with it that had the thing of him talking to school kids. Was it in that issue? No, I, oh, no. I maybe, but this is just an interview. It was right after the finale of the show aired. Cause we're going to, you know, that's going to be stuff. Yeah. We want to oh, hear what yeah. Ano has to say about that. And it was, 
so I read a version that was, you know, was obviously from Japanese New Type, but they mm-hmm. did a, a French translation, I think, oh, in the French version. Yeah, yeah. So I read an English translation of the French <laughs> translation of the actual interview. So who knows how oh, my God. <laughs> close to the mark that was. Yeah. That's like, what was it from news radio, uh, like Donkey Wrestler or something? Oh, God, I, <laughs> I remember, remember the, that joke. Yeah, I do, but I don't remember what Jimmy, the... whatever, Donkey Wrestler. Um so yeah, just to sort of call that out. Mm-hmm. Uh, some other things like I know I referenced an, an anime mascot character that was a cat that the protagonist kept trying to eat, and I uh-huh. couldn't remember the name of the show. It was Excel Saga. Ah, which okay, is sure, a, sure. A parody anime show from not around the uh, same yeah. time as this. I don't know if I ever watched that. Excel I remember Saga. you telling me about it though. Yeah, it's. Uh, I would probably get a lot more of it now. It was mm-hmm. very insider like joke stuff. Mm-hmm. So probably parodying things like Sentai shows and stuff that I didn't really know a lot about at yeah. the time. I'd probably think it's a lot funnier. Um, Kensuke and Toji were introduced okay. in the last episode. Yeah. And I brought this up to you because you're a fan of Ryu Murakami's novels. Mm-hmm. Oh, right? very much so. But you have not read The Fascism of Love and Fantasy. I don't know if that is that one available here. I don't think it's. I don't think it is. He's got so many fucking books that haven't been released over here. There's like maybe ten of them. I have most of them. You don't have any idea how many he's got. I want to say. I mean, I'm gonna just pull this number out of my ass. I want to say it's like thirty or forty books or something like that. I feel like there's always lists of them on like Wikipedia that just yeah, and they'll get translated to random languages. Sometimes there's like ones that are released in France that haven't been done over here. But Mm -hmm. wait, so are they character names from? Yeah, both. Both. I think they're full names of. Yeah, like uh, Kensuke Aida and uh, Toji Suzuhara, I think. Those so, are names of characters I mean, from, I guess, from this novel. And this I, is Ryu Murakami, not to be confused with yes. Haruki Murakami. Very which, different author. Which is, but it's interesting, though, because, I mean, I guess, I mean, I mean, Anno must just be a big fan of his because, I mean, he, he later adapted one of his books, yes. uh, Love and Pop. Uh, I don't know if it was a book called... The book is called Topaz Two. Yeah, well, to, yeah, which is Roman numeral two. <laughs> oh god, we can go on to such a long so like because it's, it's a it's a pseudo sequel to Topaz, which okay. was released as which uh, was made into a film directed by Ryu Murakami himself. Oh, I did not know this. I have it right here. You're schooling me. Uh, no. It's one of my favorite movies. Oh, okay, okay. It's, called, it's released as Tokyo Decadence, and it's I a story about uh, set in the '80s <laughs> about a, a, a an escort. The like cover a, of this DVD you just handed me is very uh, one of my favorite images of all time is this uh the actress like uh posed in front of uh the tokyo skyline and it's like a, like a glass window yeah and she's in like lingerie and it, it's you can look it up if you search tokyo decadence you'll see it but yeah a so, film of power and astonishment as serious as it is kinky yeah so this was like a like a sort of uh uh notorious movie in the 80s for being the story of like a, a sex worker going about her sort of day and the different weird clients she meets. And then he sort mm-hmm. of did an updated version called Love and Pop or Topaz 2 or whatever uh, that with an Anno turned into a movie that I'm sure a we'll li- talk a more live in action depth movie. about. Yeah, yeah. Th- that was Anno's li- first live action feature, I believe. Which is just funny that it's like this is because Ryu Murakami is, you know, known over here more as like the other Murakami or as the guy that wrote Audition. Mm-hmm. But over there, he is like a like a pretty big well, cultural figure. He just did a adaptation piercing. That's yeah, of his, really right? jealous. That I just, wanted to do that. Just came out. I remember when I read it, I told you about it. And I was like, no one will ever make this into a movie, but I wish we could. And then <laughs> I, I should read some of his stuff. I have, I've I've, I'm, I'm a little movies. scared of it because like I, I am more of a Haruki Murakami guy. I'm like, oh, this nice, like kind of, you know, weird fantasy that has darkness in it, mm-hmm. but isn't 
necessarily reveling in you know any sort of confrontational darkness but ryu murakami stuff seems really like scary to me no i mean i mean if you've seen audition if you're familiar with that that that, that gives a pretty clear indicator but like i think he had like a news talk audition show. is one of his books yeah is that, okay mm-hmm. it's okay. really good Ooh, all coming together now yeah all yeah these so it's all these you know like the sort of you know the weirder pop culture figures in japan finding each other like i imagining ano and ryu murakami like hanging out is a really fun image to me and these two weird guys we haven't really i guess just to talk about the name thing again is the name shinji uh, oh sure shinji is named after shinji higuchi okay which we have brought up he's the co-director of shin godzilla interesting he did effects work on all the heisei gamera movies the 90s gamera movies and i think maybe the sinking of japan was a, a movie that he did but he's yeah like a, a tokusatsu and special effects guy and he was involved in gainax fairly early on oh that's cool but, i didn't yeah, know that shinji is is named specifically for him but yeah he's uh, well, look at you with all your research and yeah. name origins Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, speaking of name origins, got, what do you got? I looked up Gynox to sort of see. Well, I'm oh, reading, sure. I mentioned this before, but there's this book that I that I got. I, you can still get used copies of it. I don't think it's still in print over here, but it's called the Notenki Memoirs by Yasuhiro Takeda, and it is Studio Gynox and the Men Who Created Evangelion. And it's oh yeah, that's cool. Sort of a tell-all. Uh, ADV put out the copy that I have in paperback. ADV manga, but. It, it's just from 2002, and it's him relating basically how Gynox got started up mm-hmm. and just going through the history. And I'd read it a long time ago, but as we started doing this, I was like, well, I should probably dig into that and read it again. And, and in that, he details where Gynox came, came from. And I said it wasn't a Japanese word, but apparently in the Yanago dialect of Totori, Gaina uh-huh. means big. Okay. And there's even like a festival that's like the Gaina Festival in some area, and that you know is like the big festival. Mm-hmm. So what they did was they threw an X at the end, as he admits, just because it made it sound more like a giant robot name. So, yeah, so, all right on. So it's like big, Gynox. They're big. You want to yeah. sound big? You can yeah. sort of picture like a social networky type scene of them all like sitting around a table, like smoking cigarettes and like nervously not making eye contact with each other and like trying to decide what their company should be called. And somebody's like, "Oh, the company should be really big," you know, Gaina. And they're just like, you know, and next, it sounds cooler, the Don, you know, the Don <laughs> Draper of the room. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, the, yeah, the. Uh... What's the best way to communicate big? What is it? It's uh, in uh, social network. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Star Trek. Oh yeah, Star Trek did air in Japan. Okay, yeah, this was this was a, a thought we had the other day. Yeah, as Uchu Daisakusen, it aired in 1969, and reruns were shown really repeatedly in the Kansai area, where a lot of the Gainax guys are from. Interesting. So it would have been a big deal there, and yeah, it was a big part of the the sci-fi um, conventions that was you know sort of. I mean, it makes they, a lot of sense. It's it's something that literally that was like a thought I had on mic the other day like that i'd never thought about that before ever in my life and it makes a ton of sense when you think about it just because star trek is not to say that this didn't exist before because i'm sure like you know moby dick or some whatever i'd like literary stuff that i am unable to reference but that like just the the sort of colorful crew like the the different types of people and the different personalities and how it's fun to you know have the differences and disagreements but to come together for the things that's a very just you know i mean that's narratively Mm -hmm. obviously like pretty basic but so much of japanese content is sci-fi stuff with casts of characters that are fun and it kind of makes sense you know that that yeah. would have been there yeah there's a big influence 
I was also looking up. Um, this is the the article that I was talking about. We talked about Godard in the very first episode mm-hmm. zero, and I I said I'd look up where this you know where I got this information from. And so it was an interview with Azuma Hiroki, who is a culture critic of mm-hmm. you know a lot of Japanese pop cultural stuff, and he apparently talked to Ano, and Ano to him cited uh, he was asking about his influences mm-hmm. and he expected him to say godard because it was it be specifically because of the type the the font stuff he didn't say specifically why but he was just you know in asking Anno about his influences mm-hmm. he asked him and he expected like he would say something like godard and he didn't but Anno did say kihachi okamoto who is influenced by godard okay so it all kind of does tie back um because i did i was thinking about it more that like all the, the the use of like big text and stuff in the show mm-hmm. is another element that is you know Godard was very sort of famous for and I was looking up some of that and I think I came across that interview on my own or something like that because I was just thinking about that so mm-hmm. so yeah just a couple other things to cover we talked about the first rebuild movie and we're wondering when that mm-hmm. came out it was in 2007 that the first of the new that's theatrical even right after movies. I graduated college. I think even rebuild is is not correct i don't think the the ano and studio kara call them the rebuild movies is like the new theatrical version Mm -hmm. but yeah 2007 so that was (laughs) that's a long ass time ago did we explain to people what that is no is it worth doing or should we i mean yeah we told them not to watch them yet yeah because those are more readily available like on amazon and stuff like that and it's basically like ano with some of the other original directors and, and, you know, I don't know if it's the same voice actors or not, but like Mm -hmm. basically just did they're doing a series of four movies that are effectively like another take on this story. So that's what the the whole, is it a reboot? Is it a remake? Is it a rebuild, you know, kind of conversation And they've released three of them. The fourth one, God knows when that's going to come out. Supposedly 2020. Yeah, we'll see. Supposedly production has started, but he stopped to make Godzilla and I can't, be angry at that no not at all but they're they're really really cool i mean it's it's higher budget animation and the first like the first one is basically like that's what's frustrating about it is the first one is largely retelling of the first six or so episodes yeah of the show. Al- almost exactly so covering a lot of the stuff that we've already covered on a few episodes ahead and even reusing some of the animation like like improving yeah. it and making it widescreen and new and flashy and all that stuff but but literally some of the same images. Oh no, yeah, it's the same composition, the same. It's it's yeah, it's very very similar. And then two and three, the second start movie, to diverge. Yeah, really starts to diverge. Three is an entirely different thing that yeah. has no reference point. To Uncharted this territory. And I, it was probably one of the most surreal viewing experiences of my entire life because I had seen the show so many times. Yeah, and it's like two is like you know it's it's still on the rails to some degree and then two is like a totally it's a totally new like all new animation stuff but so like the first one is yeah i've seen this before it just looks better yeah and it feels like a little bit more movie ish the second one is like okay it's a totally different take but on the same basic story yeah and then the third one is new and i i saw the third one uh with with my with our friend kevin phillips who you know we we are desperately hoping will come on the show he's busy in prep on a project right now and he can't be here but the initial intention of this podcast was to have him on so at some point we will either do a special episode or a series of special episodes with him or he'll just pop in at some point but anyways he and i have he's with the other person that i've watched this the most with and we watched that third movie together and like 
it just I can't even it was like I was confused for like two days I felt like it was like an out-of-body experience I was so just like what the hell is this <laughs> I remember it really yeah. really affecting me every time I watch it it feels very strange I think I've seen it three times maybe three or four times I watched it a bunch because you gave it to me I think for my birthday oh, one right. year and I, I just used to just leave it on and it's yeah anyways yeah, yeah I definitely had a couple of late night viewings of it and there's definitely stuff in there and there's stuff at the there's at the end of this show. There's actually when we get to it, I'll t- there's a dream that I had like the second or third time I watched this. There was a scene that I was waiting for it to happen in in the show, the 26 mm-hmm. episode series, and it didn't happen. And I was like, wait, wasn't there a scene where this happened? And everybody's like, no. And I was like, I so vividly remember this being a part of the show. And it's like, okay, so I guess that's never coming. But um, yeah, so that's a lot of the housekeeping stuff. I just could share a few tidbits of stuff that I've been coming across in the Tenki memoirs that I think is particularly interesting. First and foremost, the story of how they sort of met Ano. Oh, yeah, you told me this. Described in the first episode how it, it came from them going to conventions and you know being dissatisfied and wanting to put on mm-hmm. conventions of their own. And there's always opening movies for the conventions. And mm-hmm. they were like trying to decide, okay, what are we going to do for this, for this con? I think it's Daikon 3. What are we going to do for the opening of this convention? It's going to be cool. And one of the, one of the guys in the sci-fi club that was putting on the, the convention is like, oh, I know, I know somebody who knows how to make anime. And so it's like this, you know, mm-hmm. this all right, right off the bat, you know, like there's this, this, I, I know a guy who knows a guy. Yeah. So they end up going to this bar. This, well, it's like, like it's almost like an bar. oceans movie, like a heist movie, or like they need like the the explosives 100%. expert or whatever, yeah. you know, and they see this little little guy in the corner, like with the ashtray full of cigarettes, and he's like. It also just made me think of us talking about discovering anime, and like, well, you have to have somebody with a big brother who like yeah. has the mysterious box. So they go to this bar to meet Ano for the first time. And uh, the the author of the the book uh, Yasuhiro Takeda he goes up to Ano and he's like, so I hear you can make anime. Ano's like, yeah. Like, well, what does that mean? And so Ano just whips out this like notepad of like bank bank notes and just mm-hmm. draws on it right then and there in the bar this image of um, it was a powered suit. I guess the the image of the powered suit from Starship Troopers. Mm-hmm. The illustration on the Japanese version of the book was like very popular, very mm-hmm. famous. And he just drew that and then, you know, made a flip book basically right there at the bar of it. Oh, walking wow. across the page is like super detailed, you know, really hard to draw thing. And he just like whipped it. Uh-huh. it so just like that you find this, this guy's, what does that mean? Just, just right, That's so cool. right at the table. And this is all before he went on to work for uh, Miyazaki and stuff. Wow, that was that was a later thing. So that's so crazy. It's like if you were making the the social networky version, like a movie of that, like you you would sort of like go in on the page of seeing the thing walk and you cut to all the reaction shots as they're all like <laughs> stunned watching, and you would sort of like have the music come up and score this little simple animation, and then you would probably have that Starship Troopers thing like walk into a bigger you know, like. Well, they, that becomes part of the key yeah, image of their opening. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which we should probably look at. I, I watched them a few years ago, but you can find them on YouTube. The Daikon. Mm-hmm. I remember you showed them to me. Yeah. Daikon four opening animations. Yeah. So and, maybe, maybe this is our dream project is not adapting Evangelion, but doing a social network style movie set in Japan about <laughs> the formation of Gainax. That's. Oh Lord. Uh, yeah. There's some colorful. Let's go. Characters. Let's go pitch that. It's <laughs> everybody, cool... everybody wants that movie. <laughs> It's a cool book, yeah. If you if you can find it, it's definitely worth worth looking at. And I was just tickled to find out that pretty much the time that they're doing the opening animation movie for for the convention was spring of 1981. God, that's wild. Which is when I was born. Oh, there so you it's go. Like yeah. Gainax is as old as me. Like that's it true. Was, was I was being created? So was so was this company. 
That's a really uh, sweet sentiment. <laughs> and uh, that's that's pretty much it. I mean, I did want to call out. We've been talking a lot about the the specialness of the giant robots as being bioorganic and like mm-hmm. a little bit more than just robots. But Space Runaway Ideon is an anime that's been a big influence on this, particularly the ending, which oh, okay. I don't want to say too oh, much yeah, about. Oh, yeah, you told me about but, this, yeah. But this is a show that's a fairly traditional giant robot show. But what is cool about it, does, it does, it was one of the early like god robot shows in mm-hmm. that the robot tech, like they unearth the robot technology. Oh, sure. The Ideon is the, is the robot and it's, it like responds to a particular pilot. Like it has a little glowing, like, mm. and this is also this, uh, this robot appears in the, in their convention yeah, movie yeah, yeah. opening animation um, or the symbol of it does, but you know, you'd get, they unearth it. And so it's a technology that is not created, but a technology that is found. Now, and it would has that like a, have been, oh, sorry, I just totally mm-hmm. cut you off. Would uh, the creators of that show have been probably influenced by Arthur C. Clarke? Because that's another thing that's going to come up more as we talk, is the influence of Arthur C. Clarke, in conjunction with Stanley Kubrick, obviously, because 2001 yeah, was I don't know if they generated were, by I both d- of them. I do know that Anna was, and I want to talk at some point but about... But the notion of unearthing an object like yeah. that is, you know, of of And the, the idea that any technology that was sufficiently advanced would seem like yeah. magic. Which is, the, so that's because it's the, the Sentinel... Is that the name of the Arthur yeah, C. Clarke story? story? That was the inspiration for... It was the inspiration for 2001, but then Childhood's End was written before as well, and that has... Some... Childhood's End is the one that is seems to be most... And I've read somewhere that that was an influence on Anno, and I can definitely see the, the where Childhood's End goes, and you can see huge parallels with Evangelion. Okay, yeah, so we won't... We, we're not going to go into that now, because we'll probably do a whole Arthur C. Clarke discussion, because I want to get my facts and right. Get, I, you see it kind of spoilery. You don't want to know exactly where the show's yeah. going to go and how, but Childhood's End, yeah, has sort of a lot to do with with this because there's probably i'm just all of that to establish a sort of fossil record of the relationship between the idion show you just talked about mm-hmm. the sentinel childhood's end 2001 and then all of that coming back is it yeah sort it's of all sci-fi to, and they're all sci-fi fans and mm-hmm. so you know all this stuff inside that is a big part of what we're reading about in this book is the the sort of the stigma at the time of anime and tokusatsu shows not being real sci-fi like real sci-fi was literary and mm-hmm. one of the things that the gynox fellows were really pushing was the idea that no it's all it's all good it's all under the same umbrella so yeah but that that stuff all goes into there but i just wanted to you know as we talk about how much we love this show and it's it is the specific follow through of it that is make it so special yes but at the first time i saw this i was not aware of how much it was sort of building on and commenting on or playing with tropes from other things and so calling out something like ineon is is a precursor of technology that was godlike and yeah, technology yeah, yeah. that you know responded to a specific pilot and there was a connection between pilot and mm-hmm. ship that went beyond the more you know militaristic sort of style of things um, yeah, and then that's been that's also just the fun of you know what it was like when we were younger with everything, and then now you know you have to find things like this that are more uh, rarefied to get this experience. But like when you find something that's this unique and exciting, it becomes a sort of like Rosetta Stone for a bunch of other stuff, and it, it's fun to sort of 100%. pick apart all the the connections and the influences. Well, talking about me and, and you know watching all this Ultraman stuff is like, well, I hadn't seen any Ultraman when I was in. That. Why did I start watching Ultraman? Was Godzilla in yeah. part, but then also because I knew that Daikon Films mm-hmm. <laughs> in the lead up to doing another convention that the 
the Gynox dudes got together and Ano directed an Ultraman fan film. Yeah. Which you can find online. Um, if you look up, you know, Hideaki Ano's Ultraman, um, you can find it somewhere. I think you can get it on DVD through Gynox. At least you could for a mm. while. Because Subaraya Productions eventually officially sanctioned it and like <laughs> let them put it up there. Wow. But it, it, it climaxes with... Uh, somebody turning into Ultraman and Ultraman is just played by Hideaki Anno in an <laughs> Ultraman jacket with yeah. no mask and no makeup. Just this guy throws on glasses and turns into a giant Anno who then fights a giant monster and it's just his face. <laughs> I mean, I guess that's, that's the early building of his sort of celebrity status. Cause we can talk about that later too. That he like eventually is like, he's like in some commercials and stuff. Like he became like a, like yeah, a- he has cameos in movies and, um, like Taste of Tea, I think he plays an animator. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, he's definitely shown up and and stuff. And his wife uh, has a manga about him. What? Yeah, it's like a comedy, like slice of life. Oh my god! Yeah, like definitely need to find that. I didn't. That, I didn't even know he was next married. Housekeeping things. Oh yeah, Moyoko Ono, well, I think is her name. I'm very happy for so, him. Manga artist. Yeah. I always worry about that guy. But that so like getting into Ultraman because I knew that. Anna was a fan mm-hmm. getting into, you know, just reading Childhood's End and watching Space Runaway. You know, and a lot of the stuff I did a few years ago when, you know, I went my latest round of just like getting really excited about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it comes in these waves of yeah, like getting yeah. really excited about it periodically throughout my life. And then um, just even watching anime, I, I think yeah. it was really my decision to, okay, I'm just going to watch more. I, I had, you know, watched a bunch in high school and then you sort of wax and wane, like mm-hmm. like comic books or whatever you're yeah. into, sorry, you can sort of go through these periods and just largely responsible for me to like, I need to buckle down and watch a ton because who knows what else is out there. So. Yeah, try to find something that can influence as much. But So we've talked a bunch without talking about this episode, um, Yeah, which this will just be sort of a longer one. But there's also, there's not a lot in this episode, I think. And I, I'm sorry, I just sort of transitioned. Yeah, that's, that. that's great. I, it, like, it, it, this is an interesting episode in, in, you know, thinking of the thing as, you know, a TV show in the sort of traditional sense and not like a binge-watchy thing. This probably was an interesting week for, for everybody yeah. because it's the, old, it's the first episode that doesn't have a, a battle scene. There's no... Ava there's, Angel. There's no angel that shows up. There's no Ava action. You only see the Evangelion just his head. Ava Unit One just submerged still mm-hmm. in the liquid, and it is it is just a background cell. Yeah, the, there's no, I mean, the there's background. no yeah, like there's not even any animation of them. It's like it, it's you know you if you you've already watched the episode, you know it's mostly an episode about Shinji struggling with whether or not he's going to do this and deciding that he's not going to pilot the Ava anymore and basically running away. Yeah, because we saw last time the emotional toll it was taking on him and the stress of, you know, that he's doing it just because his father told him to, but he doesn't really like his father and his father shipped him out. And I think at the point where the show starts had seen each other for like three years at all. Um, And so all this resentment and it's like, well, am I just doing this to please him? And he's not even here right now. And, and yeah, it just is a lot for him. And we talked about the rejection of his, mm-hmm. his call to adventure and all that. So I, I'm just so impressed that, yeah, there's this whole episode devoted to the character's desire not to <laughs> and, and, participate and, and, in the conceit of the show. And, lar- and largely on a sort of narrative, if you really break it down, almost all he does this entire episode is silently ride trains and walk <laughs> around. 
uh-huh. and be sad and listen to his listen to track twenty six. Track twenty six. Uh, twenty five to twenty six. Twenty five to twenty six on his S dat thing, which we talked about off mic beforehand yeah. like my theory is that the you know because dat tapes were like a you know digital audio tape or whatever that that was used professionally in like media stuff like sound recording for films and things like that but i don't think it was ever really a consumer product but it's almost seems like this is a bit of a like a futuristic touch like as though in the future dat tapes are like mm-hmm. something that you listen to stuff on because it's better quality audio than like a cassette tape or like a mini tape or whatever but uh so yeah, you see a bunch of him listening to music. You see, well, I like the train. Just to comment on the mm-hmm. train stuff, I, the the idea that and this is going to be just a recurring visual motif, and I I like this idea of trains and that him being in the train. As you're just in transition, and when mm-hmm. you're on the train, you're essentially nowhere. You're between points of mm-hmm. where you're going. You're not the train is not a destination. It is just it is just between, and mm-hmm. he is existing entirely between. And and you, and you see, see different people coming and going. You see, like you know, like the, the car fills up and because for them out. it's a transition. Yeah, yeah, I'm here to do this, and then I'm out. And yeah, that he just stays, lives in that. And probably the most interesting. I mean, it's a good episode, by the way. I don't want to like you. You watched it. You know, it's good, and it's there's some really pretty. It's very. I like this one a lot. Yeah, it's it's a different. It's it's nice to have a, a sort of palate cleanser before you know more angel attacks and shit like that. But one of the really interesting things that that I hadn't really paid much attention to in prior uh, viewings is that there's a scene where Shinji, in a very sort of like taxi driver kind of way, <laughs> like goes to sleep in a movie theater, uh, or I guess like sort of Midnight Cowboy as well or something. But like. Uh, and and he's napping, and we hear the audio from this movie he's watching before we know what it is. And you you know they they subtitled the the dialogue, and it it sounds like a very sort of melodramatic like d- like disaster movie. It's like a Roland Emmerich movie. Yeah, from, yeah, yeah, from yeah. In the late nineties. Yeah, and it's but it's basically what you start to realize if you're paying attention to those scenes is that it is a dramatization of this second impact thing that they've referenced, you know, we talked about before that this is like the world is in a different state ecologically because mm-hmm. of this thing that happened. And so we had the boring old teacher that was yeah, droning exactly. on in the background so talking about it teacher. that we, you know, didn't pay attention to because there was classroom drama and fun stuff. And now we have Shinji sleeping in a movie theater and we can read the dialogue of what we will come to understand as a film about that. So they're cleverly dropping this exposition in, in very, very interesting places. And they confirm it by the, 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 following shot is the exterior of the movie theater and there's like a marquee or whatever that says that that's you know it's something about second impact and uh you know that's just an interesting way to fit it in but yeah i don't know if it if it's a documentary or like a like a you know uh based on a true story that's a very like sort of like paul verhoeven-y way to fit exposition in like you could picture something like in like robocop or like starship troopers or something like that but also in the movie theater i want to call out that he notices the couple making out a few seats in front of him that's true and his reaction to that is very almost angry like he does not like to see these people being intimate sure that's you know the the english title for this is hedgehog's dilemma which is a callback to the previous episode and Mm -hmm. you know misato calls it out again here if you know the closer we get to each other the more we hurt one another and so just shinji having this in this isolation moment of him just kind of existing on trains and being in transition seeing two people together and he's just sort of acts reacts with this kind of very negative Mm -hmm. um reaction to something that he does not have doesn't feel that he's ever maybe going to have um is 
important, I think, yeah. to this episode and where it goes. Well, and then, and then so the rest of the episode, while Shinji's just being silent on trains and being sad, the rest of the episode focuses on the different people, the various people that are, are looking for him or wishing he was still Reacting around. Reacting to his absence. And, yeah. and so we see, uh, you know, his two friends at school now are, you know, they feel not responsible. Well, but Toji they, feels you know, responsible. Yeah. <laughs> Gensuke is, you know, I guess sort of along for the ride just worried about him but yeah toji does feel a little responsible and his his little sister who he mm-hmm. punched shinji for in the first place because the ava you know knocked over a building that she was in and she's hospitalized she was like no the robots protect us yeah so, yeah it's like, you asshole. getting chewed out by a grade schooler Not so you get a funny the... scene where they show up to see shinji and he's not there but they react to misato and you know it goes back to the like the sort of comedy plot line of this whole thing of just like this kid living with this like older yeah. woman and they there's a really funny part where like because to, toji's like super like oh like really being polite and we've you know we, we talked about how he's got like that the kansai accent and stuff and he's mm-hmm. just a more brash character so we see him like trying really hard to be super formal and you know he's like bowing to her mm-hmm. there's a really good expression i don't know if you noticed the reaction shot like kensuke's like kind of looking at him like almost embarrassed like chill out um so like you know, so they're they're looking for him, and then you know Masato's sort of you know. Well, she feels guilty because the last yeah. conversation they had, she was sort of chewing him out for disobeying a direct order, mm-hmm. and he does the very you know <laughs> uh, middle schooler thing of like just saying yes to everything mm-hmm. that she says to try to get through. Which is the most like mischievous we've seen Shinji in this sort of like flashback scene. He gives that's... this smirk. Like at first he's just like yes, yes. Are you just saying yes to everything I say? You know, like gives that little asshole smirk. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, almost as if he like realizes his power in this moment of he is, you know, making her mad. Well, it's like they, they, they made other notes for things. Um, oh, they make reference to uh, Masato and Ritsuko are talking about the the reality of Shinji probably leaving, and they make reference to they have no choice but to use fourteen year olds to pilot the right. the Avas, which. I think is the first time they've referenced that they don't go into any detail. They just no. say we have no choice but to do that. So without Shinji, Misato and they, says, "I know." Yeah, yeah. It's just like you know, as you know, we have to, you know. And so like they, they you know, basically just to say that Ray is the only one, other one they have. Who Ray is still, you know, we we haven't really gotten to know her yet. But, in another scene with Gendo and Ritsuko, they talk mm-hmm. about how they don't have a fourth child yeah, yet. Yeah, they haven't and they, found and they the do fourth say child children. Yet. I'm listening this time. They call him third children. Like you can hear them say it mm. in uh, English their children but then you know the subtitles obviously translated to child but they haven't really explained much of that either they just no. say oh they, he says that the martic institute has you know still hasn't found the fourth child or fourth mm-hmm. children or whatever and so that's an ominous thing so ray's the only one left but ray's gonna pilot unit one so this is all just like you know business of seeing what's gonna happen now that shinji you know isn't there and we're cutting to shinji not being there and then feeling like he should be there and you know, they're like we don't need to do all of it, but it does. You know, obviously, it wraps up with with a really nice uh, moment where Shinji does see that there are people that care about him, and that you know, people that don't want him to go and think that what he's doing is yeah. important. Well, he gets the nice scene with Kensuke by himself out in the field. Mm-hmm. Like he just wanders out into the wilderness around the city, and that's a place Kensuke goes. And this is, I think, one of the maybe the only time you see Kensuke without Toji. Uh, they're, Maybe, they're yeah. almost always together and sort of you start to look at them as like a singular character. We get a lot of moments and things with Toji by himself, but it is, I, I always like that, that there's, there's a relationship that's just Kensuke and Shinji that they mm-hmm. have kind of their own thing in it. And this 
this is like a little moment that they share of just it's just a place to go like another human being is mm-hmm. he's trying to be alone he finds somebody to be with and he's out here alone too and i don't know i just think it's a nice moment and they find they have stuff in common like they both don't have mothers mm-hmm. is uh the first time we're really digging into yeah that'll be significant into that um and yeah yeah and they also so so then so so to getting back get to the end where like we we see that they show up at the train station like shinji's resigned from nerve he's gonna leave he's gonna go back to osaka or wherever he was at before and they show up because well, they do find him he comes back before before that happens he has a chance to sort of reconcile with Mis- misato and they kind of fight again yeah like he he comes back and he's you know still very taciturn and actually we're we have this on uh, as we're talking and it's actually at that scene right now when she's you know he's been gone for two days and he's she's like being reprimanded him, basically yeah does he feel any better and i kind of want to look at some of the this scene because he's like almost wanting to be scolded and by her well he, there's all i mean it's a bunch of stuff of him him both wanting to be told what to do, but also wanting to be left alone. And like, yeah, we're, I mean, but this is, you know, you watched it. So you're seeing, I mean, this, this is a, basically this is just a whole episode that's about Shinji's sort of unique emotional state and, and unique personality. And, and but Misato sort of saying, you know, if you don't want to do it, if it just brings you pain, then I don't want you in there. Like mm-hmm. that's dangerous. We like, you're not the kind of person that we need to do that. And like, stop blaming it on other people or saying it has anything to do with us. This, this is about you. It's your decision and stuff. And that that's sort of what spurs him to be like, you know, fuck it. And he does. It just sounds a lot like my therapy sessions, honestly. <laughs> this it? is, yeah, no, it really does. <laughs> it's this is like, that's kind of funny. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, because he's definitely throwing it like, well, I'll do it for you. I'll do it for them. What do you, you know, what's going to happen with Ray? What's going to happen with, you know, and, it, and it's, you know, leave us out of it. Um, But they, yeah, I mean, they go through with it. They're going to recalibrate unit one for Ray. They, they, punch holes in Shinji's nerve ID card. And yeah, sorry, I keep cutting you off. No, no, no. I was just trying to move through. You know I mean, but it's it basically well, it just because one of the other pieces of information that you get from that conversation at the train station is he's like, well, how did you guys know I was going to be here? And Kinsuke and Toji are like, oh, you know, like call it a hunch. Like we've, we've seen off a lot of classmates. Yeah. And so, so that like, you know, again, we're going to like piecing together the way this whole thing works and stuff like that, this idea of them trying to find the the next pilot and, you know, just wanted to flag that. As yeah. A thing. Well, that a lot of people leave this fucking city and yeah. have been leaving this city lately. As soon as these, you know, these two angel attacks have happened in the span of a couple of weeks. Cause I think another week has passed by the time all is said and done with this episode. Cause he's been skipping mm-hmm. school for five days. We were trying to do the math and then two days of wandering around. So it's been, you know, about a week since the mm-hmm. last thing went down. But you get this really nice scene that is really endears me to Toji and Kensuke, where Shinji looks like he is gonna get out of town, and Toji, you know, demands that he will not be satisfied mm-hmm, mm-hmm. until Shinji hits him back, and uh, they sort of go back and forth, and it's like, okay, but I'll just hit you once. And uh, I'm just so tickled by all of all of Toji's interaction here when he's, you know, like, all right, let's mm-hmm. do it, and then like, stop, don't hold back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Shinji gives him a good punch and. And then that builds to the moment when he's being dragged away and Shinji kind of finally breaks and he's been so taciturn and just like accepting of stuff where he kind of frantically tells them like, I'm the coward. I'm the one who should be hit. It is, mm-hmm. I am weak, which I think is really interesting, particularly in this 
day and age of how young white males sort of see themselves and the desire to sort of be the sad sack because it's easy and then anger and resentment that's directed outward mm-hmm. because of their station and because of their, you know, lack of mobility or whatever. And that, you know, it is sort of this weird heroic moment for Shinji to call out this. Uh, yeah. I'm making it hard on people. Like I'm yeah. just waffling. I just riding trains all the time. Like I, you know, I am weak. I am a coward and now I'm quitting and it kind of weighs on him in this interesting way. And I don't, it's not a one-to-one thing, but I just think it's interesting to sort of see this type of character who is a, a young male. Who... Well, I think, I mean, and this is, we'll get into this more, I'm sure, like down the line. But I mean, I do think that Anno was was looking at his audience. And, you know, we talk about yeah. Gynax being fans first, enthusiasts that became creators and stuff, and I think in, in otaku culture and in, in, in anime and, you know, the, the, the obsession with all this stuff and that I think Anno is challenging himself and, and in doing so, also attempting to communicate to his audience that I think he sees himself as being a part of, but but having stepped into the role of creator and not strictly fan now mm-hmm. has a sense of responsibility. And I like there's quotes that I've seen before about some of this stuff that you know again i think with with the deeper end we can get to it because he gets into he gets into a fear you know there's some some sort of controversial you know stuff between the fans of this show being frustrated with the creators of the show and Mm -hmm. and things like that so there's there's a lot in that and i don't so i don't think it is entirely coincidental because i do think that like the the it is weird that how it splits the difference between fan service which we talked about on here before servicing fans and also providing a service for fans by holding a mirror up to them and actually giving them a character that shares their characteristics. And, you know, if you, if you hate Shinji, then maybe you won't be like Shinji. And if you see yourself in Shinji, you know, it it is a thing that kind of makes you as an otaku think you can't just mindlessly consume it. It isn't just servicing you as a fan. It Mm -hmm. is providing the service for you by kind of shaking you out of your, you know, well, in state, I'm not going to I'm not going to make any grandiose claims right this second because I, I do want to do research and it will just remind me to do this later. I, I do want to do research into um, what at the time I'm, I'm curious at the time how popular and, and, and I don't know what the current state of it is. Mental health stuff was in Japan because I know that like mm-hmm. antidepressants were not something that was around. It was not a popular thing. I don't know if therapy was popular. Yeah, what is the stigma about? Because there's a docu- there's a documentary about it that Mike Mills directed. That was all. It was. I think it's called "Does My Soul Have a Cold?" I think uh-huh. or something I like remember that. This. I think I gave you a copy yeah, of it I or something I've like that. This. Yeah, that's that's all about people with depression in Japan and how depression is viewed culturally and how antidepressants and and, and that the whole mental health industry that's that's very basic over here. I mean, everybody. In America, you know, there's people are on, you know, antidepressants and anti-anxiety medications and everyone mm-hmm. goes to therapy and stuff like that. But it was just a totally different cultural thing over there. And I don't I'm just curious where that conversation was at at this point in time, because it does seem like Anno is trying to look at tendencies in people on a psychological level mm-hmm. and understand that stuff. And I think he was probably trying to understand that stuff about himself and Absolutely. was projecting it into this. So again, I don't have any big connection points to make. I'm not an expert on this stuff, but I, I think I'll do more research and we can talk about that that, how that relates. Know. Yeah, you know. absolutely. But uh, that build, we're sort of almost at the end of the episode here in terms of events. So all that's left is Misato sort of mm-hmm. realizing the hedgehog's dilemma stuff and 
speeding to the train station uh like um you know like um it's like the end of the graduate or something yeah, or, yeah. <laughs> or the end of wayne's world too yeah, but, yeah yeah depending <laughs> on how you whatever your cultural touchstones are but uh yeah she's racing to get this it's just weird that there's almost this like sort of romantic quality of like this is normally it's about two people like oh stop her from going to the airport stop the thing from happening but this yeah. is the you know the authority figure sort of realizing oh have i failed him trying to get there in time and you know her car speeding up and she thinks she missed him like you know the train's already leaving and she stands you know sullenly well, sort of similar to how they first met too of yeah. her coming zooming up in this in her little blue car mm-hmm. uh, but a lot's changed in the few episodes since they first met uh and then and, and you get this incredibly long shot that is literally just a single cell single still frame <laughs> With sound playing over it of of like an announcement from the train. I remember this being long, and like it's when it went so into it, long. I was like, "Oh yeah, okay." I remember this shot's really long, and I'm like sitting there, sitting there, and then a train announcement starts, and I was like, "Oh wait, yeah." Like they, they go through this whole train announcement. Yeah, so we talk about the stillness of some of these these kind of moments of characters like facing each other off and stuff like that, but that is one that is just like incredibly long, and it, it's you know it's a great shot, and it's a, it's a lovely moment, and it cuts to close ups of them. You have you know Shinji saying, "I'm home," and and it's a callback to that and yeah and that's what makes it one of my favorite yeah. things and you know again just the i don't want to get too much into the different characters because we haven't met them all yet but people's attachment to different characters specifically and what those characters provide and how much that says about what you as a person need <laughs> from yeah. your interactions with other people yeah we'll definitely talk about that more once we once we get the full yeah. cast show but the up. image that masato is is here to get him and doesn't want him to mm-hmm. go and and that you have this long thing and that he can confidently say and i had sort of forgotten about this moment when i was going off and how excited i was when he stepped over the threshold and we had that you know i'm home welcome home exchange mm-hmm. and that i forgot that it was called back to here and yeah so pretty quickly seeing it hit me quite hard and again that's the moment we cut to black on we cut yep. on shinji's face uh well it's misato's face saying welcome home and cut to cut to black yeah you know, end of the episode um well and with that i mean we're at 50 minutes so it's slightly longer i mean I don't, there's there's more we want to talk about or not um, but we can talk about i want to talk about we still have gone several episodes now without talking about the opening oh songs. sure why well, not well let's do that top of next one okay um I don't know if Netflix is going to put on the next time things as oh yeah we've got the DVD on just kind of running through as we're talking and it I was always really fond of these and there's like a I bet they don't specific music cue of yeah. like bum, next bum. time yeah uh, I don't know if those are on there and I I'm gonna bet that they aren't but you know who knows I don't know yeah so I don't know if those are worth talking about other than they just you know they're funny like like any you know show especially back in the day you're like next time. They'll give you a little commercial for for mm-hmm. what it was, and it's typically typically Misato that does the the talking. Oh, lot. like in character, sort of. Yeah, yeah. There might be other characters that sometimes take over, but you know her, and that's she'll. This is where the whole fan service thing became very clear to me because she <laughs> she'll make a big <laughs> deal out it, of it. She says it. Like, Next time, I promise more fan service. Yeah, service, salve, salve, Sue. You'll get you'll get more, and this, so that was when I was like, we were like, what the hell is fan service? Yeah, no, I remember. Yeah, the first couple times we watched it, just not even knowing, and you like did the research, and you're like, oh, that's what it is. And you're yeah. like, oh, okay. So, so where it makes it's you very funny sometimes. So yeah. I mean, it's like as opposed to like you know, like I don't watch the like like on an HBO show. I try not to watch the next time because yeah, I don't always want to see. But with this, it does. It feels more like part of it. So I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. But yeah, 
Well, so let's, yeah, well, let's, let's wrap this up now and we'll do the next one. So yeah. we still have the thought in our head, but okay, guys, thanks for listening. Uh, this is episode zero four of sync ratios and, uh, we'll see you next time. Bye.